The Real Christian Life. Ever wonder why you're here, this planet, this particular time, this century? God chose to create you. He didn't have to. He just decided to, wanted to do it, did it, and we're here. That's the simplest answer. God created us for His pleasure. For His pleasure. Uh, for a broader look, you can ask why you're here in this area, in this particular time, with all the circumstances going on, why here, why now, in 2021? And bother asking yourself that question recently? Many have and are. God's creation is not random. It's not for entertainment, either God's or ours. But there's something specific for our creation, every single person. And in Esther 4.14, there's this remarkable passage that says to Esther, you're here for such a time as this. And I would say that's why we are here. We're here for such a time as this. With all the stuff going on, we are here for a purpose and a reason. We find in His Word, which you've heard in Revelation, God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Now, of course, from the great confessions of the church, we have these summaries of, uh, of doctrine. And uh, it's a good thing to read uh, the, the confessions of the church because they take hundreds of pages and condense it into a few statements and a few phrases. Um, and you've heard this one before. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We've said that many times here. And such words cut through all the mumbo-jumbo of our culture, of our media, our educational system, and even folk Christianity. We contemplate the simple, powerful truth that undermines all the relatively unimportant things in life. We can start sorting things out in life because of this major, powerful, important thing. So when we wake up in the morning, we can say, Lord, how can I glorify you and enjoy you today? Check your schedules. You can look at the things you do every day, the decisions you make, the places you go, what's written in your checkbook, how you spend your money, all these questions that ask the big question, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to glorify God? Is it intentional? Do you have an intended purpose for that day to glorify God? And you, have you thought of some specifics in doing it? Now maybe, fact is, little or nothing. Maybe your life has very little or nothing to do with glorification of God. But it could bring a life or career change the minute you decide on the priority of glorifying our Creator. But what if you are bedridden? What if you're in a wheelchair in a nursing home? What if you're in a prison camp for being a Christian? And all the other things that can happen in this life. We can ask God, how can we radiate the life and power of Christ where we are. I love this Psalm 32, verse 8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Uh, these are the words of David, but I think also they're the words of God. It's one of those places where 
where uh, it slips back and forth between God and David, I think. And even though the words of David, I think this is God saying this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So if you're wondering how to glorify God, he will instruct us and teach us how to do that if we ask him and really mean it. And if we really mean it, we can decide to be in a number of things, a helper of other people, a kind encourager of others who are discouraged and downcast. Or it can be like the, the woman I mentioned a year or so ago, uh, a little lady who decided there's really not much she could do to glorify God. But the idea came to her, I can go to the train station and sit in a chair and with all these thousands of people moving to the train station in Zurich, I can pray for people in need. And so she did. She was been there for, I can't remember how many decades, every day, sunshine, rain, hot weather, cold weather, sitting in this little chair against the wall. She is now faint. I think she's still there. I don't know. She was elderly at the time. This is maybe uh, eight years ago or so. But she would pray for people who came through there. And she is now famous in Zurich for being a Bonhof Engel, train station angel. And people in Zurich knew that if you had a real problem, you didn't have to go to church. Let's go to the train station. She'll take care of you. The Bonhof Engel. I've never heard of anybody else doing that in my life. God told her to do it, and it worked out very well. She's now a, an icon at the train station in Zurich. All this, though, is for a context. I want to get to something here. It's a little side excursion. And I want to talk for a minute about a particular mother uh, named Mary. She's called the Virgin Mary. Um, and we don't talk much about her because I think because of the, the excesses or the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, the Protestants think to push her in the back of the bus because, you know, we don't want to get involved in Mariology. But uh, she was a wonderful woman. And uh, there are several things that the Roman Catholics believe that, that we don't believe. For example, the, the called the Immaculate Conception, which means that she was born without sin, sinless. And the perpetual virginity of Mary, meaning she had no other children. Or the Assumption of Mary, which means that uh, at the end of her life she ascended into heaven just like Jesus did. He just ascended. Now, this, um, the theology here is that Mary needed no rebirth, no, no regeneration, no forgiveness, no transformation. But she refutes all of that by one of her statements. In fact, there's no evidence whatsoever that those points are true. There's no evidence for it. Um, but she was something else. She did refer to God, my Savior. My Savior is God. Now, if she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. But she knew she needed one. But there, she was an extraordinary woman, a wonderful woman. And I'm wondering uh, why the angel appeared to her and said, Mary, you are highly favored. Highly favored. I'm not aware of anybody else in the Bible, either men or, man or woman, who is called highly favored. No other. Not favored for salvation. I mean, whatever she did to gain that high favor didn't qualify her for being saved because she was saved by grace just like all the rest of us. But there was something about her that was special. She was an unusually, extraordinarily good woman. And she stood out for that reason. See, God sees, acknowledges, and appreciates relative goodness. Remember, Jeremiah says that every single human being is, the heart is desperately corrupt. Well, original sin. That all have sinned, have a sin nature. None is good. None, none is perfectly good. 
But good here means, I think, what gave her her reputation was that she did a several things which others have done, but she stood out as a, as a wonderful illustration of this. She loved God. She trusted God. She obeyed God. And she became the ultimate mother, the mother of Jesus. And we can add here uh, Lois and Eunice, who are mentioned. These were uh, Timothy, the pastor of the church there. Um, this is mother and grandmother. And they were good, godly mothers and a good, godly grandmother. And they all lived and taught faith. They all uh, taught scripture and they taught holiness. All to say that these were biblical mothers. And uh, Tabitha was mentioned also in the children's sermon, this special person. So God has used these mothers through the years to do wonderful, extraordinary things and to illustrate the kingdom of God. Let me return now to the main track. If we're not involved in the glorification of God, it puts our purpose in question. We don't have lots of purposes. We have a few. And this is one of the main ones. We are all here, Paul tells us, for good works. Good works, defined by God, not necessarily by us. And he says in Ephesians 2, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's a sermon in itself. I'll probably preach that down the road one of these days. If we're here for any other reason than that, then things like joy and contentment and fulfillment will be out of our reach. We're not going to get there. So we are to be a couple things. Light-hearted citizens of heaven. Let me see that again. Light-hearted citizens of heaven, even in a pandemic, even when you're locked up, locked down, locked in, locked out, whatever your locked experience is. And temporary dwellers on the earth. Glorifying God. Now, most of you know of G.K. Chesterton, a wonderful writer, first half of the 20th century. He said when he was young, he never felt at home in the world. He always felt like a, an alien, a foreigner. Didn't fit here. He belonged somewhere else. Didn't know where. He wasn't a Christian. He just knew he was out of sorts, out of, out of uh, the, the, the world, out of place. And then he said he became a Christian and heard about Jesus Christ. And once he came, his, his faith got put together. He said, now I belong here. Because he learned the truth that he didn't really belong here, but now he can settle down and belong here long enough to do the work of God. Took the gospel to teach him. But he sensed that all those years. Remember, our days are numbered, Psalm 139, and our place and places are assigned. Assigned. Acts 17. It's all planned. If life is not in line with the glorification of God, the purpose that we have here, we have two choices. One is either a changed life, and I have an illustration. I talked to a man this last week who, uh, he said, he spent 30 years not caring about God, and care about Jesus, and care about the Bible, religion, faith, church, nothing. He just went his own way, and people were always praying for him and telling him about God, and he just dismissed them, get out of here. Until one day, he said, he hit the wall which means he lost his marriage, he 
He lost his job, his children, uh, and his house. So all he had left was his car. And so he just jumped in the car, started driving wherever he was going to end up. He didn't know. And he said he passed over this very high bridge in his area. And that was the bridge famous for the people jumping off. And as he passed over the bridge, it passed through his mind, the possibility of just jumping off and getting it all over with. But he said instead of that, after he hit the wall, he said, Oh God, if you're there, if you exist, if you care about me, this is a good time to tell me. And he said, it wasn't long afterwards where God did reveal himself to him. And uh, I have many wall stories to tell you, by the way. Uh, sometimes hitting the wall is the first thing that happens to somebody when they're running as fast as they can away from God. Um, I've talked uh, before about God being good at creating doors where there's no escape, you're backed into a corner, there's, there's no possible humanly way out. And God creates, ex nihilo, out of nothing, creates a doorway that wasn't there before, that suddenly appeared, and it swings open, and an arrow points that way, out. But God is just as good as building a wall where one wasn't there before. So if you're running as fast as you can away from Him, He can create a wall in front of you in about five seconds. And sometimes people come to faith only in that way, by running so fast that they hit hard against the wall, and they say, Lord God, what is my life about? What am I doing? Why am I here? And he tells them. That's one choice, life change. The other is to build the glorification and enjoyment of God into our mundane lives. Maybe you have a mundane, boring life doing something. I don't know. But that's the most common thing to do, is not something extraordinary, something miraculous, and so on. It's just finding out why you're here, celebrating that fact, and beginning to build into your mundane daily life the business of glorification of God. I think most people, that's, that's the way it works. We remind ourselves that when our days are over, they're over. There's a fixed number. Nothing beyond that for the earth. And I can't tell me how many times I heard people, I've dealt with a lot of people in nursing homes and, and you know, in funeral homes and their families and all the rest, and I've heard just about every kind of I wish I had statements. I wish I'd done this. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done this, and I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd focused on my family rather than my work so much. I wish I'd trusted God more and trusted myself and others less. I wish I had preserved valuable friendships that I let slide and they disappeared. I can uh, agree with all those, by the way. And some have said, I wish I'd come to faith earlier. Why did I wait so long? Why did I waste so much of my life outside the, the joy of being in God's house? We do not know what any day can bring, do we? Before we ever heard of a pandemic how quickly this thing happened. We don't know what a day brings. But each day, we are free to turn, to receive forgiveness, and to cry out for help, and to live out God's plan from today forward. When's a good time to start? If you haven't done it already, I'd recommend 5 o'clock. 
for you. Far fewer regrets by giving yourself away to God and to others. Jesus promised in Matthew 5 and Mark 8 that that's how we find ourselves. Give ourselves away for the gospel, for Jesus, for God, and we find ourselves for the first time. History of Christianity says all the same things many times over. Just read Christian biography. Today's questions have been asked for 2,000 years. These are old questions, and they have answers. Read how other Christians have found their way just by doing this. So in conclusion, when we ask, why are we here? The answer is simply to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Nobody I've ever met ever regretted the life of doing this. It's not something you regret. You just wish you'd done more of it. The good news is it's never too late. If you're alive, doors open. If you're still breathing, the doors open to you. Let me give you two quick takeaways. The glorification of God is the very thing that leads to contentment, fulfillment, and joy. Counterintuitive. We think if you want contentment, fulfillment, and joy, glorify yourself and do what you want. That's exactly the opposite. Give yourself away. God's perfect will for you is the best thing that will ever happen to you. His perfect will is the best thing that can possibly happen to you. And number two, we do not know what will happen in six months, in one year, or five or ten years, but we can be absolutely sure of this one thing. God is in total control of His world and us. And He can be totally trusted to see us through to the end. Mm -hmm.